Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your kindred, and from your father's house, in a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in all the families of the earth shall be blessed. In, sorry, and in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God bless you. Gilio. <clears throat> okay, I, um, I was chatting to one guy uh, a number of years ago, and he said to me, Tim, I, I love how you are so passionate about mission. I love how you are... Um, you've got this strong calling on your life uh, to go into mission. I love um, that when you talk about mission, your eyes light up. And he said, I, I don't know if I've really got that kind of calling on my life. You know, I've got my, my family, I've got my business, my work, and life in Sydney. And, and, and uh, you know, I feel like this is where God would have me be. And I wanted to encourage him. I often have people say that sort of thing to me because I've sort of got this passionate calling and things like that. So I said to him, mate, you know, you need to know that if you've said to Jesus, Jesus, I'm willing to go wherever you want me to go. I'm willing to do whatever you want me to do. Uh, if you've said that to Jesus and he hasn't led you anywhere else, then you can be sure that where you are is where God's called you to be. You know, if you've said to Jesus, I'm willing to go wherever you want me to go, do whatever you want me to do, and he hasn't led you anywhere else, then where you are, I think you can be confident, is where God is calling you to be. And he said, well, that's great, but I'd never say that to Jesus. I'd never pray that prayer. God, I'm willing to go wherever you want me to go, do whatever you want me to do. What if he leads me somewhere that I don't want to go? And I think there's this problem in my friend's response. It's really shaped me hearing his response because I've thought so much about it and I've analyzed my own heart and I've tried to think, where do I see that in my own heart? It's this idea that maybe God's plans for my life are not quite as good as my plans for my life. Maybe God doesn't see far enough ahead like I do. Maybe he's, he's not as good as I am at planning things out. Maybe he'll make a mistake, but I won't. Because my plans for my life are, are really good plans. And his plans, I'm not so sure. It's essentially a lack of trust in the goodness of God. But how much do we see that in our own hearts? I love the story of Abram's call. He's not yet Abraham. He's still Abram. This is before God changes his name. And as far as we can tell... Abram is not yet a Christian when this happens. He's, he doesn't yet know the living God. We know that because uh, when Joshua led the children of Israel into the promised land, he said, our fathers lived beyond the river and worshipped other gods. And so what we can sort of guess is that Abram's family, and we can know, sure, from this thing that Joshua says, that Abram's family lived beyond the river and they worshipped other gods. They were a polytheistic family. And what does polytheism look like? It basically looks like this. I wake up in the morning, and today I want to go to the beach. So which god am I going to pray to? I'm going to pray to the god of the beach. So I have a lovely day at the beach. And tomorrow I've got an exam. 
So which God am I going to pray to? Well, I'm going to go to the chapel or whatever or the religious place and I'm going to light a little candle to the God of learning so that he helps me out with my exam. And then the next day, you know, I might start thinking, well, I'd really like to find a wife, so who am I going to pray to? I pray the God of love and romance. And, and the way a polytheistic life works is basically you are not in ultimate allegiance to anybody. You're just trying to live your own life for yourself. And you're trying to tick all these little religious boxes so that you get to live the life you want to live. It's, a, it's actually a very fear-based environment. You're afraid of all of these little gods getting angry at you. So you're trying to tick all the boxes and you're trying to make your life and your plans function the way you want them to go. And so Abram's growing up in this polytheistic environment and he hears this word from the Lord. Go, leave your country, leave your kindred, leave your father's house and go to the land that I will show you. Imagine how radical that would have been for Abram. Imagine coming home that day and saying, oh honey, packing up the suitcases. Where are we going, love? Don't know. I heard a voice. Really? Was it your dad? No. Was it your mom? No. It was God. He told me to go. Where did he say go to? I don't know. Just go. And Abram's leaving. Just feel that, that sense of faith that Abram would need to have in this living God that he doesn't really know very well yet to be able to leave everything behind and go. What I see is I, th- I see three calls in this passage. It's the call of Abram. And the first thing I see is this call to faith, to faith in the goodness of God. So Abram actually can't rely on anything else. He has to say, I'm going to trust that God is good and I'm willing to go where God wants me to go. When God first called us to Russia, it was 13 years ago. And we were, I was walking home uh, from the bus stop and I was praying. I was saying, God, what do you want me to do with my life? And I had a picture of a map in my head. And in the center of the map, there was a city. And I could see people coming from all over the map to this central city, to a discipleship center, getting a fire in their hearts and then going out all over the map until there were spots of flames all over this map. And I was praying, okay, God, you're calling me to be involved in a discipleship center in a central city, center of the map, that's goal is to see revival come to a region. It seemed, it was radical. You know, this doesn't happen every day. Don't, don't think, wow, Tim's got this, you know, direct line to the White House. No. Um, and, and then around the same time, my, my wife, Jo, who wasn't yet my wife, we were, we were dating at the time, also praying, also had a vision of a map and saw an X of borders. And eventually looked on a globe and found this big X where it's Russia, China, and from your perspective, Mongolia, Kazakhstan. And above that X, she saw this city, Novosibirsk, felt drawn to that city and felt like God whispered into her heart and said, in 10 years, for 10 years. So as we're praying, we're putting these visions together and we're saying, maybe, maybe we're crazy, but maybe it's God speaking to us. And maybe God's actually saying, I'm calling you to go to this city that you've never heard of before, Novosibirsk, which you all pronounced so well a moment ago. I'm calling you to be involved in a discipleship center there. People are going to come from all over the region to this discipleship center, get a fire in their hearts, and then go out all over the region. And I'm calling you to do that in 10 years' time for 10 years. Now, so what do you do with that? You go, okay, maybe God's speaking to us. Then what does Abram do? Maybe that was God speaking to me. This God I don't even know very well. How do you, how do you work out, 
is this really God's calling on my life? You take the first step. That's the only thing you can do. You start walking in that direction. You say, yes, God. My answer is yes. What is your question? I'm willing to say yes. Jesus, I'm willing to go wherever you want me to go. I'm willing to do whatever you want me to do. It's a call to faith. And I just want to ask you just a gentle question. In your heart, where, is, where are you at with that? With the idea of just saying to Jesus, yes. Not my will, but yours be done. Whatever you want, I'll do it. Whatever you want me to do with my finances, yes. Whatever you want me to do with relationships, with my time, yes. Where I live, yes. How I, how, where I work, yes. Jesus, my answer is yes. Lead me wherever you want me to go. If you can say that, then it's, it's, a, it's a sign that actually your heart is really quite open to God. And it's a wonderful thing. Where are you at in this call to faith in the goodness of God? Um, as he plans out your life better than you can plan it yourself. The second thing we see is this, this call to sacrifice, which I think is quite amazing in Abram's life. If you look at verse 2, actually, no, we're still in verse 1. Sorry about that. I, I promise I'll get to verse 2. Still in verse 1. I, I don't know if, if the boys want to put the verse 1 up on the screen. God says to Abram, I'm calling you to go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land that I'll show you. So there's three things that Abram needs to sacrifice. The first is his country. It's amazing actually how much of a sacrifice it is to leave a place you know and love. Leaving Australia, for me, was actually quite a sacrifice. And I'm not yet even talking about the people or even the language, just the physical place. I remember before we moved to Russia, going out uh, into the Aussie bush, I was the pastor of Yas Baptist Church at that time, just walking out to the place I used to pray on the edge of town, looking at the gum trees, looking down onto the river, and, and I, just, I was in this moment of just loving Australia. I pulled out my phone, Googled the words of, I love a sunburnt country, and just sat there and read these words, you know, I love a sunburnt country, a land of sweeping plains, of ragged, ragged or rugged mountain ranges, droughts and flooded rains. I mean, it's, it's, this beautiful, it's this beautiful poem, and there's so many others. Just this week, I was reading Banjo Patterson's The Man from Snowy River, listening to a couple of slim, dusty songs. Aussie bush poetry, which just talks about the beauty of this landscape that we have. And, and I, was, I was in this place before we left, looking at this stuff and going, I'm, I'm leaving this behind. And that's a sacrifice for me. Because physicality, what we know, what we love, it, it, it gives us some sense of security and some sense of who we are. If you imagine if you grew up on a farm and then it came, the day came, the horrible day when the family needed to sell the farm. It's a sacrifice of your country. And sometimes God calls us to make that sacrifice and to leave behind the physical location that we know and love. But even if he doesn't, what we want in our hearts is to be ready. Even if we're called to stay where we are, just to say, Jesus, the country that I'm going to when I die is better than the country I'm in now. Jesus, your plans for me are better than my plans for me. And I'd be willing to leave behind my country if you called me to go. The second thing is he calls him to leave his people. Now, just think about this for a second. Abram doesn't have a phone. He doesn't have Skype. 
There's no video conferencing where he's going. He's actually saying goodbye to people and never to see them again. And that is the vast majority of the people he knows he will never see again. And yet he's willing to go. He's willing to make that sacrifice. What I think I see here is that God's saying to Abram, um, I'm going to make of you a great nation, but there's got to be a cut from the past. You can't rely on the relationships that you have that make you feel secure, that make you feel like you know, you know who you are. I'm actually sending you off on your own, more or less, into a place where you are going to become a network of relationships, but it's all going to be new. And that's, I think, a lot more scary than leaving your country. It's leaving your relationships. I remember the first time we were moving to Russia, and this is going way back, 2007, and I needed to get on a train in winter in, in Helsinki, leave Joe and our little Elijah, who's 10 now, our eldest, he was nine months old then, and just go into St. Petersburg on the train by myself to find an apartment for us. And my Russian was very limited back then. I wasn't fluent like I am now. I just remember going on this train and, you know, it, the, 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 I felt safe as long as it was in Finland because my wife's family's Finnish and it sort of was a bit like home more or less. And then we get to the border and these Russian, you know, soldiers come on with grumpy looking faces and take my passport. And I just remember feeling I am on my own, completely alone. And I've said goodbye to all these relationships, everything I know, everyone I know I've left behind. And I'm going into what God's calling me into. And being able to say to Jesus, Jesus, I've only got you to rely on. And it was such a thrill. Just looking back on that as like, it's like one of the, the emotional highlights of my life. Do you know what I mean? And I'm sure many of you have experienced that. Where you come to a place, it might be a sickness, it might be something's happened in the family, it might be moving somewhere. And you actually come to a place where you say, Jesus, I've only got you to rely on. And, and because you've only got Jesus to rely on, you do rely on him more. And you lean on him heavily. And he comes through. It's a wonderful thing. Go, so there's a sacrifice of country, a sacrifice of people, and there's also the father's household. Now I think, what's the father's household? Well, I imagine that that's a financial sacrifice. Because your father's household, that's what Abram would have inherited, is everything that his dad owned. And he's leaving. And it's not like you can say, oh, okay, some Jebusites stole my wallet. I'll call home and get dad to wire me some cash. You know, back then, that doesn't work. You're making a massive financial sacrifice. It's a step out of financial security into a place of uncertainty, and yet he's trusting in the words of God that God will bless him. And often, when we step out into what God calls us to, there's a sense of financial sacrifice. Even if, it, even if it's some plan that God has for you that, you that will result in a successful business opportunity or something, it's still this, this, this risk. It's big financial risk. And the, the question that I've got for you and that I ask my own heart is, am I willing to risk all of my finances as well for my faith in God? I'm not saying I have to. I'm not saying that now you, know, you have to give everything away or anything like that. But is your heart in a place where you'd be willing to leave behind financial security and step into the purposes of God? If you are, um, then that's a wonderful thing. So, and, and that's the, the life of a missionary as well. You know, when we're back in Australia, we can see our friends, you know, doing well. And, and, and God's blessed us as well. God's blessed us so much. And I just, uh, I, I don't want to be captivated by envy. I, you know, even friends of ours who, because we've gone on the missions path and they've gone to, you know, work in business or whatever, 
you can see that they're, they're, they're doing well financially and chatting to them, realizing that they're just as captive to looking at the person who's doing even better financially <laughs> as anyone else. Do you know what I mean? And I remember chatting to a guy who was worth millions and millions of dollars. He'd made stacks of money running a big financial corporation. And he said, Tim, it never gets any easier. You know, even if you've got 50 million, you look down the street at the guy who's got 60 million. He said, it never gets easier, which I thought was a really great insight to hear. Actually, my responsibility now is to crucify envy in my life. Say, I'm not going to envy people who have more than me. Because even when I have as much as they have, then I'm just, I just envy the person who's got even more. I actually don't want to live like that. I want to say, Jesus, all my finances are yours as well. And what we see in Abram's life is that God does provide for him and bless him. Okay, so there's a call to faith and trust in the goodness of God. There's a call to sacrifice. And that's what I've experienced in my life, that as I sacrifice what I have and what I trust in for Jesus and step out into his plans for me, that he provides, that he blesses. And that's what we want to move in into the next verse. And just so guys go to verse two, finally, um, there's a call to blessing, a call to faith, a call to sacrifice, and a call to blessing. When God says go, when God speaks into your life and says, I want you to go somewhere other than where you are today. And these are the blessings, these promises that God gives to Abram. There are actually a number of them. And it's great to know that God's call is never detached from God's promise. When God calls us, he promises. When God shows us what to do, he also blesses us. And this is what God says to Abram. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. Verse 3. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Just focusing a little bit on those verses. First, he says, I'll make of you a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. What does it mean when God's saying, I will bless you, and you will be a blessing? Already in the book of Genesis, we've read about God cursing the earth because of sin. And, and cursing means frustrating the potential. That's, that's what a curse is. When God blesses, he fills people with potential to fulfill their purpose. That's why he blessed Adam and Eve to go and be fruitful and multiply. It's this, it's this, hey, it's this filling with strength and potential to fulfill your purpose. But then God has cursed the earth, and so that there's a frustration across the whole earth. And we've all experienced that today. When we woke up this morning, I don't know if any of you just sort of leapt out of bed with no pain in your body and said, I feel so alive and, and looked at your bank account and it was full of cash and then, you know, ate some food and it tasted as bad as the best food you've ever had. You know, it, it, we didn't experience that because our lives are frustrated on this earth by the curse of sin. And God says to Abram, I'm going to bless you and you're going to be a blessing. That means you're going to be a source of blessing for people around you. Imagine that. God spoke in your ear. You are going to be a source of blessing in a frustrated world. And that's what we are as a church. We are a source of spiritual blessing to people. As people who are thirsty for spiritual nourishment come and they see what we've got and they come and taste and see that the Lord is good, that God actually blesses people through us. It's an amazing promise. In in, in it's a promise of fruitfulness. And God says also to Abram, I'm also going to protect you. If anyone speaks well of you, if anyone blesses you, I'm going to bless them. 
But if anyone curses you, I'm going to curse them. It's an amazing promise. Because when I, when I, whenever I think about you know, some big step I've got to make for God, I'm often worried about what people are going to think of me, worried about what people are going to say about me. And then this idea that, hang on a second, God's promising to bless people who bless me. And, and if anyone curses me, he's going to curse them. This promise of protection for Abram is incredible. The, the idea, actually, I love, I love the word, go, jump to verse 3, boys. I love the word uh, there, um, whoever curses you, I will curse. I looked it up in the original Hebrew, and the first, there are actually two different words in the original Hebrew. The first word, curse, it, it means to make insignificant, to, to treat lightly. If anyone treats you lightly or insignificantly, God says to Abram, I'm actually going to frustrate their lives. Because all of us fear that. We all we sort of, everyone knows what it feels like to walk into a room and feel insignificant. To feel like nobody cares who I am. To feel like I just feel so light and insignificant and I could just be blown out by the wind. And God's saying, no, no, no. That's not going to be your experience of life. I'm even going to look after your reputation. I'm even going to look after how others treat you. I kind of get to this point of hearing all these blessings, like blessing of fruitfulness, this that I can be a blessing in a frustrated world, that God will protect me from people around me. He'll bless others through me. He'll protect me from negative things that they're going to say. I think all this stuff, and I think, what excuse have I got left to not step forward into the plans God has for my life? I don't have any excuses left. I don't know about you, but I, I sort of feel like all my excuses have been knocked to the ground. Because there's a fruitfulness as I step into what God has for me. Think, things are going to happen that are actually supernatural because God is with me. As I close, just one story from how I've seen that in, in Russia. Basically, I, I mentioned that we're sending out students to unreached people groups. Um, and one unreached people group, one, one area of Russia, right on the Caspian Sea. A friend of mine is planting a church and has seen a number of Muslim people come to Christ. Um, but in his city, and it's a small city, there's actually a, a terrorist Muslim group in the city. And everybody knows that. And they're radicalizing young Muslim men to go and fight holy war, fight jihad. Uh, people are moving to Syria to fight for ISIS. And, uh, and everyone knows who this, this radical Islamic group is because they dress differently. They're the only ones who wear the serious Muslim kind of black clothing, the women, you know, all that sort of stuff. Everyone else sort of wears more normal clothes, even though the, the, the whole city is 90, 98% Muslim. Anyway, so my friend's planning this church there, and we, we, get, we get the privilege of sending students to serve with him in, in his church. He's seen, you know, 20 or so Muslims come to Christ, and he's just worried that word's going to get out that these, this terrorist group are going to come and one day they're going to blow us all up. Anyway, so one day during the church service, which is gathering in his home and he's got his young kids there and everything, they get a knock on the door. He opens the door and there's a woman standing there in full black. And so he freaks out. <laughs> I know today's the day. We're getting blown up. And she says, uh, he says, can I help you? She says, is this where the Christians meet? He's <laughs> oh no. <laughs> today's the day we're getting blown up. Today, that's, this is it. He said, I, I, had no, I, I, um, I wanted to lie more than I've ever wanted to lie in my life. <laughs> she said, no, 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 this is, you got the wrong house. So yeah. 
But he said, I prayed in that moment. I felt Jesus remind me of the verse. Anyone who denies me before men, I will deny them before my Father in heaven. So he said, um, yes, this is where the Christians meet. You know, can we help you? She said, can I come inside? She said, okay. <laughs> she comes inside. And then, um, and then she says to him, where's the leader of this gathering? And he thinks, oh, no. She wants to blow me up. So she's standing. And he says, I'm the leader. What, look, what, what do you need? What, do we, <coughs> what are you here for? She said, I want to tell you my story. About a month ago, um, she said, I'm part of that, you know, that radical Muslim group in town. He goes, I know you, I know you are. <laughs> sort of waiting. She goes, about a month ago, um, an, an imam, <clears throat> a Muslim leader, leader from Saudi Arabia came to our religious group and did a ceremony and lit a candle. And as he lit this candle, I felt fear just captivate me. And I fell in the ground and started having seizures. And everyone in the room knew that a jinn a genie, a demon, was attacking me. They called genies, they called demons genies in, in the Arabic world. And, uh, and so they start trying to cast this demon out. And the way they do that is they, they shout prayers that I need to repeat while they beat me. And it didn't work. And so then they, for you know, weeks they took me to different psychologists and they said, oh, look, we can't help this woman. It's a spiritual nervous problem she's got. So she said, I've, I've finally come to you because I've, heard that Christians can help with this sort of thing. And they said, yeah, we can. We can pray in Jesus' name. So they prayed in Jesus' name over her. She felt the demons leave her. She felt this oppression leave her. And they shared the gospel with her, and she came to Christ. Um, and then she went home and told her husband. Now, usually when that happens, the husband will then beat his wife and force her to recant. Anyway, the husband hears her story and then says, okay, I want to meet this pastor guy. So he organized a meeting with my friend. And, my fr you know, I would, have been, I would have been much more scared the second meeting than the first one. You know what I mean? But my friend faithfully shares the gospel with this guy as well. He's seen the radical change that Jesus has brought in his wife's life. So he also comes to faith in Christ. And so now this family that was preaching jihad to young Muslim men is preaching Jesus in this area. And that happened last year. And I think, I mean, the privilege for me is that I get to be a part of what God's doing in Russia, in stories like that, I get to send, I get to train up students in understanding the Bible and then send them to places like that where they're a part of these kind of church plants doing radical ministry. Some of our guys have planted churches in small cities that have never had a church before. Can you imagine that? Never been a church there. Never, never, Jesus has never been preached. And now there's a group of 10, 12 people gathering in this city in Siberia or over there in the Caucasus region. I think, wow, what a privilege. And, and as I've stepped out into God's plan in my life, I feel alive. I feel like I get to, I, there's a privilege of being a part of what God's doing in another country. I feel, um, I feel like I'd rather be nowhere else. And yeah, there are challenges, yeah, but it, it's like they pale in comparison to the joy of being a part of what God's doing. As he blesses you, as he's with you, and as he enables you um, in the life that we lead. So I want to encourage you today. Um, maybe not, God's not calling you to go to, you know, reach Muslims in Russia. Um, but what he is calling every one of us to is to, to that place of surrender. Where we say, Jesus, I'm willing. I'm, I'm, I'm willing to do whatever you want. I, I'm, I'm happy to step forward fully into the plans you have for me. You can have everything I own. I always think it's, it's you know, Jesus says it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. I mean, why is that? Well, it's because... 
when you, when you enter the kingdom of heaven, you say to Jesus, Jesus, everything I have is yours. That's why it's often children uh, who enter the kingdom of heaven because they've just got Lego. And they say, Jesus, all my Lego is yours. You know? <laughs> it's a lot harder when you've got you know, some properties and a million bucks in the bank to say everything I have is yours than when you've just got a bit of Lego. Do you know what I mean? Um, but yeah, that's what we say. We say, Jesus, everything I have is yours. Do what you want in my life. Not my will be done. Your will be done. And lead me wherever you want me to go. And I just want to encourage you that the, the release and the freedom you'll experience emotionally even uh, as you pray that prayer is worth it. So why don't we pray now? Father, we want to thank you for what you're doing across the world. We want to thank you, Lord Jesus, that you're a faithful God, that you love us, that you love your people. We want to thank you, Father, for this church in Korowa. It's a faithful church, Father. They sing loud. They love you. They love each other. It's wonderful to see. And Father, I pray you'd bless Korowa Baptist. I pray you'd bless uh, Dave and uh, his family and the the team here. Uh, God, I pray that you'd do your will in this church. And Father, for us uh, as individuals, we do want to say to you, God, that your will is better than our will. Your plans are better than our plans. And so, Lord Jesus, we want to say yes. We want to say, Lord, do what you want in our lives. We know that you're better at planning out our lives than we are. So, Father, use us for what you want to do in this world. Use our resources, use our gifts, our talents, our time, our energy. Lord Jesus, we want to live this life for you. We know that you died for us so that we might live for you. And so, Jesus, would you work in us, in our hearts, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, guys.